0: Man, I don't know about you, but this has been a hell of a week. It has been not bad, right? It's it, it, It's been good. It's been busy. But it's been a hell of a week. I think it has to do with the temperature finally dropping down, and now we are actually into winter, which you can't really complain about but at the same time you once you get a a second taste of that summer feeling that that warm weather feeling you always want it to stick around but it has been a hell of a week but it doesn't matter we are going to push on episode 23 of the second thoughts podcast let's go This is the Second Thoughts Podcast. Calgamard, as always, your host for this Friday, November 13th edition of the 23rd episode. Of the podcast, Uh, thank you for tuning in. I apologize; it is a little bit later. Like I said, it has been a hell of a week. (laughs) uh, We've had a lot going on throughout the course of it, so I tried to get this up Friday at some point as I possibly could. I know it's normally up around; um, it would be way up before I'm recording right now. As it's about four forty-seven in the afternoon here in uh, in London, Ontario, Canada. Uh, wherever you are listening, I greatly appreciate it. Whether it is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or any other plethora of um, of, of genre, you get your podcast from. Uh, if you want to follow along, it's on Anchor. So if you don't have any of those platforms, uh, there's there's a few others that you can uh, you can stream it for free. We are on Instagram and Twitter at Second P. and coming up a little bit later on tonight, if you're in the listening area on 980 CFPL in London, I will be on a segment called Friday Nights with the voice of the London Knights, Mr. Mike Stubbs. Uh, We're talking about a few things that actually we're going to touch on a little bit later on in the podcast today, which is kind of funny because normally... Right, this would be like the the August or or some point of, of of the off season where there wouldn't be a lot of topics to go around. But I've got I've got a few really good topics that I want to touch on here, and, and we'll we'll dive into a little bit deeper. And uh, it's pretty great. Uh, one of the topics is involving the twenty twenty one AHL season, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs quote unquote experiment that they may or may not do next season, and then a couple other uh, contract rumors to get to. But Let's get into it here. Let's start with the first topic. Um, There have been rumors going around about the NHL. For the short term, hubs may not be used for the 2020-2021 season. Now, we all saw how the bubble did phenomenally well. Not just in the National Hockey League, but in the NBA, right? We saw when the MLB started off. There were COVID cases to begin with. We're seeing right now in the National Football League, each and every week, players are coming into close contact with players. They're having to be put on on COVID reserve lists. Players are getting contacted with it. And we're seeing how that's going. But the idea of NHL teams playing games in their own arenas is evidently gaining stream for this upcoming season. That's from TSN's Frank Servalli. Now, it's funny because it kind of contradicts the commissioner Gary Bettman's comments earlier this week, which he said that the league was considering sending teams to a hub for like 10 to 12 days. So this was shortly after the Tuesday episode of the podcast was released uh, to play games before going back home for about a week. Now, that idea is still a possibility. It's just not the overly popular one moving forward. Evidently... Uh, they had a board meeting yesterday to talk about it and you know they discussed the fact that teams playing in their own divisions, in their own buildings, which is funny because there's going to be a team I'm talking about coming up in a little bit that might not have the chance to do that. Now, the one of the reasons that went into it was the significant price of operating Bubbles. And the potential loss of, of revenue you're seeing in the, in the NFL and MLB, they're having, you know, small amounts of fans being able to attend the games from a social distance. Or you go in as a group of four and you have a little area to yourselves, which would be actually really nice. I'm not going to lie. But for safety reasons, I understand, you know, where, where it's concerning considering the fact that we have seen, you know, NFL cases and MLB cases. Both leagues obviously did not do the bubble the way the NFL or the NBA and the NHL did. Uh, the NHL reportedly estimate, um, estimated spent $75 to $90 million on the playoff bubbles in both Toronto and Edmonton. Obviously, money's the big reason why. Money's the whole reason that this is a conversation right now. If it were strictly based on safety precautions, they'd be going to bubbles, they'd be going to hub cities or hub areas, but of course, in order to have a product, you need to generate revenue. You need to have some sort of income or some sort of streaming service. Now, they signed their new big TV deal and everything that's gonna be kicking in very shortly, and and there are endorsement deals, there are television, there are copyrights to, to a bunch of different things, but one of the money makers for, for running a building was having fans in attendance, buying alcohol, buying food, buying merchandise, Right, you don't just buy a sweater at home when you're watching the game on a Tuesday night. But if you go out to an arena on a Tuesday night with the family, right, the kids want want a bobblehead, they want a foam finger. Maybe you spend up, you get a jersey, you buy some snacks, you get some food, you make a night of it, right? You drop a few hundred bucks. I'm talking as if I'm I'm speaking to a Toronto base right now, but obviously in other areas you might not spend that much. But tickets alone in Toronto were like 150 200 bucks. Um, but that's a big loss. Right not having that revenue in buildings is a significant loss and there's a reason why they're talking about it. I I was going to rip on it. Not rip on it. I was going to break it down, but I understand. Anything that you there has to be think about anything you do. Anything that 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 you go out to do. If you're going to go do a hobby, if you're going to go do X. If you want to go work out, right? There are gyms where they need money from the clients to go in and use the facilities, right? If 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 you want to go, right? You want to go cook yourself dinner, right? Having people over, you've got to go to a grocery store and you have to buy the food to cook. If you want to have an NHL team on the ice, you need you need money to pay the players to put the product on the ice. Like I I absolutely understand that to a certain extent. Uh, but if I were thinking, if they wanted to, the, the cost is here. You don't have a season. Things go awry. Players get get infected with the, with the virus. The league shuts down as a whole. And you have no season. Then you have no revenue. You can probably spend a little bit of money if it means you can sustain for a couple of years until a point where the virus is no longer an issue and you can go back to the way things were. But you saw how successful the bubbles were. How how a hub city, you block off an area specifically for the players. But this time, over the course of a season, you allow the families to come in. or Or you can isolate in certain areas where families have their own homes. Like, there is... There's an answer here. And I get that there's not a lot of time either. But I'm just trying to understand... Like the whole point, it's the saying that I've said on this podcast like 80 times. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. If the hub cities worked, why would you do something else? Don't get, don't get experimental and creative now. It's This is not the, the case or time to do it. Uh, there's also talks of the league uh, considering doing two to three game series against each opponent similar to baseball in order to reduce the travel for teams. That would be fine. Right? Teams would have be permitted to have fans in their arenas in limited capacities like the NFL is doing right now. Um, so January 1st is still the, the uh, target date. Models of 62, 16, 56 games exist right now. 48's out of the question. Uh, if you remember, the league did a 48-game season back in the 2012-2013 season. Uh, cup was awarded in June. They fit it under the bar because they, they they started so late. They had a full playoffs. It was fantastic. But I'm just uh, I'm just trying to look here and for safety reasons. I don't know why you wouldn't stick with the bubble. But it's all about money, right? It's all about generating revenue. I would just say to the NHL with caution. Yes, I understand. That, that money is an important factor into being able to ice these teams. But if you risk the safety and health of these players and their families, it's not going to be a season at all. So we'll see what the board eventually agrees to. Uh, July, uh, January is coming up very quickly, less than two months away from the quote-unquote start date. We'll see what they uh, what they have in store for us. Uh, let's move on to the next story here, which, funny, correlates with what we just talked about. You know they want teams to be playing in their own cities. One of them might not be able to do it. The San Jose Sharks are evidently calling on their fans to help them prevent potential development plans from pushing the club outside of its home arena and the city itself. This is a quote from um, from the Sharks saying. Quote, for more than a year, we have been sharing our concerns with you regarding the proposed massive development projects within the um, Deardon area of downtown San Jose, which surrounds the SAP center, the Sharks wrote. For the past several years, we've been sharing those concerns with the city officials and Google. Unfortunately, those discussions have yielded limited results, and the planners of these projects appear intent to move forward in a manner that could force the Sharks out of San Jose. This is just another reason to have hub cities. It's it's another reason here. Like sports are important. Having these facilities available, if they were to go through with it, would be important. But like cities got to do their own thing too. Developments are, have to be done. Buildings need to be made. Roads need to be worked on. Construction has to happen. It's unfortunate, but look around. Look around in the uh, NBA, right? The Toronto Raptors, because they're the only Canadian team in the NBA, would have to would be forced to move. They would be the ones suffering. The rest of the league wouldn't. San Jose would be suffering in this situation. The sharks are concerned about the impact of the plans on on parking availability, uh, the fans' ability to access the arena, both during the after uh, during and after construction. All all this screams to me. This story is that each individual team has their own issues right now, and at some point, I don't know. They need The NHL needs to make a decision now or in the next couple of days so that every team can figure out how they want to execute their goals for the season. Because the NHL has their goal of just getting the season in play. But each individual team has their own specific goals about how to create revenue, how to create certain merchandising, how to best expand to the best of their abilities to get the most from... The COVID short. This is where the sharks need to to work with the NHL. I get what like talking to the fans, but right now San Jose doesn't. You don't have a. You're not guaranteed to be playing out of the building. The hub cities, the hub areas are, are still a very strong possibility. I understand that they were the most popular because money runs everything. But this is where this is where the NHL needs to work with San Jose. Right, they, the the NHL obviously has to deal with the greater good, the greater whole of the NHL season, but the NHL could really help here come into play, see what they can do on on the matter as well, and 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 the Sharks might not be the only team that has to go through this. Like if if another team or two starts dealing with with the city or has to deal with, like Ottawa. Do you remember back, you know, when Ottawa was in the Stanley Cup playoffs in 2016? They were having problems with their fans coming to playoff games in a non-COVID world because of parking, because of exiting, because of how far away the arena was, right? If you throw any other wrench into the matter, right, you also have to think about the possibility of of fans just not wanting to go to the games. I know there will be fans that will want to go, but there's still that possibility of fans not wanting to go to the games, because they're afraid to go out. They don't want to be in an arena with a bunch of strangers and people that they don't know. And people who they don't know who they've been in contact with. It's a very... I understand that that, that if you go to the games, you will be secluded from everybody. You will have your own little area. But just because you're a little ways apart doesn't guarantee that you're not going to catch something. even if there's a spot where San Jose can go to for a different arena San Jose is a big place all right That Pacific they got lots of sharks fans within that region but this is uh this is a developing story because if indeed the National Hockey League decides to have their their teams their franchises play in their buildings play series of games and then travel right the sharks are going to be in a tough situation if if you know these projects do end up going through, and they don't have an arena to play out. If they've they've got the uh, the SAP Center running uh, on the lease through 2025, and they've got a potential to renew it in 2040, but if this becomes a problem, San Jose is going to find a new home in five years. Uh, I, I I think this is more than a San Jose problem. I think this is an NHL problem. But nevertheless, let's let's turn on to an actual hockey topic here, because again, it's it is very hard during the pandemic off-season to find really hockey-topic-related items talking about on-ice play in teams and organizations. So there was a a rumor thrown out there of an assistant coach from the Toronto Maple Leafs farm team, Toronto Marlies, discussing the fact that the Toronto Maple Leafs could potentially experiment a new system on the ice. Where it would throw out three defensemen and two forwards in regular five on five play. There's a lot of backlash coming from it, and obviously a lot of jokes pertaining to the fact that Toronto isn't known as the best or strongest defensive team. But let me just say this. Let me just, for fun, play devil's advocate here, just for the sake of it. What do they have to lose? Right? It's not like Toronto's history with defensive play is going to go out the window, right? That was their big issue. Like a lot of scoring, they can put the puck in the back of the net, but they can't keep it out. And it's always the defenseman's problems. It's the goaltending's problem. There's a million problems. But the fact of the matter is they just, they weren't that good defensively and they never really addressed it until this year, in my opinion. But again, let me play devil's advocate here to the whole three defenseman, two forwards idea. Let me firstly just say this. They're not making the switch full time. They haven't even made the switch yet. They might not make the switch. They also called it an experiment. Which means it's something they're going to try out. See if it works. See if it doesn't. Maybe it's something they can build off of. They did the same thing when they made the super line and everyone was totally fine with that. And Austin Matthews, John Tavares, and Mitch Marner play together. It was like the $34 million line. And they sank, unfortunately. But they tried it, right? It was an experiment. It wasn't a full-time thing. But everybody, everybody loved that up until they couldn't score. Secondly, if it does happen to work, They're not going to start the game with two forwards and three defensemen. Like you need to put that into perspective. They won't start that way. But let's say they go into the third period. There's like nine, ten minutes left to go. You're up a goal or two. It would be used situationally. And Toronto had struggles defending the lead last year, right? They blew a bunch of leads. They allowed teams to come back into games this would be an experiment to see if they could hold on to a lead. Right? It, it would make so the way the layout, I, I would assume, was if in the defensive zone, instead of defensemen switching on and off from behind the net to in front of the net, right, if the puck's getting cycled, you'd have one defenseman sitting in one corner, not sitting, but roaming that area of the ice. You'd have the other defenseman in the other corner roaming that area of the ice. You'd have your third defenseman parked in front of the net. And then your two forwards would man the points, right? If you can envision that, that's the way I see it working out. But it's it's it would be used situationally. It would be used in a, in a, in, a, in a time where there's only two or three minutes left, and you you you're trying to defend that lead, and you're trying to come home. You put three defensemen on, and your third defenseman would be your roamer. Right? He would guard the middle of the ice, but then he would slowly shift towards the other side if, if if the play were to be dictated to that side. That's how I would see it if it were to come into fruition. Thirdly, and I kind of touched on this, it's not like the third defenseman wouldn't jump up in the rush if there happened to be a play or a, or a situation where you got, the, you got the puck and you're going to the other end. Right? Let's use Toronto as an example here. Players like Morgan Riley, Travis Dermott. Right? Guys that that are known to have a little bit more offensive upside. They would be great fits here. Right? Like Morgan Riley would be the guy in the middle of the net. Right? He'd be parked in front of the net in the defensive zone. And let's just say one of your forwards grabs the puck, starts working up. Then you jump in as as technically the quote-unquote third forward to make it an odd man rush. So that you still sustain... Offensive pressure when you do get the puck. Because you're not just going to play defense the entire time. right? The point is. In my estimation. Is to have a more defensive minded player. When you're in your own defensive end. Instead of having three forwards. And maybe not as defensively capable. You have a third defenseman sitting back there. Who's a little bit more mindful of what's going on. But can also jump up in the rush. To create offensive opportunities. Fourthly. Think about the teams that this system would actually really benefit if you had forwards who were already incredibly well defensively minded players let me give you an example here boston patrice bergeron is always known for the you know he's always known in the selkie conversation he's always known as one of the best defensive forwards in hockey he would be perfect. His role would change slightly. He would be a little bit more of a defensive guy. He would man his his, his his guy in front of the net. But then he would jump up with Marchand and Pasternak on the rush. Right? St. Louis has Ryan O'Reilly. Perfect example of another guy who is incredibly well-minded defensively. Who would kind of be that roamer. And his position would be centerman, roaming defenseman. He would be... Re- both of those guys, very high in skill at both ends of the ice. It would be a luxury to have one of those guys on your team. Two teams do it. And there's obviously a plethora of other players that I'm missing right now that would have those capabilities. And also, right, second, third line centers who are a little bit known as two-way forwards would really go into that role. Except they would be told maybe stay back a little bit more and then their position would change. So they wouldn't be chasing as much. They would be parked more in front of the net. So you wouldn't even need to have a two-forward, three-defensive system. Toronto's just saying that because their forwards are a little bit more offensively-minded. And then lastly here, what if it works? Right? We thought the same thing when teams went four forwards on the power play or four forwards with the last five minutes of the game to try and score a goal. Right? All of us were were cheering. We're like, yeah, this is great. Let's keep doing that. Right? And then there's talks of two two forwards, three defensemen, and everyone kind of laughs it off. I understand it's probably because it's Toronto, but... But what if it works? What if a team watches Toronto do it, become successful at it, and start implementing it themselves? Other teams that struggle a little bit more defensively to keep the puck out their nets. This, two things. One, implements a new defensive structure into your system, but changes your system altogether. Gets the players to buy in. Right? Other forwards seeing that their centermen or other forwards seeing that there's a third defenseman who's blocking shots. Or they're now you're outnumbered as a forward. Right, you know when you make that switch over, the, the entire goal, it's like a PK. Right? Your goal on the penalty kill is to not give up a goal in that two minutes. Last five minutes of a game, if you if if you are up a goal and you're trying to preserve a lead and your team switches to two forwards and three defensemen, as a forward, you understand, okay, there's no. There's no making mistakes in our end. There's no lollygagging in the neutral zone. This is this is grinded out time because we've got three defensemen back there who are blocking shots, who are hitting people, who are taking the body. Right? Do you remember a time when there was a two-line pass? Right? Remember how absurd that was? Imagine that being re-implemented into the game now. Right? It'd be laughed at. It was being laughed at when they took it out. They're like, eh, you can pass the puck however far you want. People were losing it. They're like, what? Hey, Remember the trapezoid? Goalies can't come out past that point? Now it's like an adrenaline rush when the puck comes around the boards and there's a forward charging and the goalie's waiting for the puck to get to him so that they can play it. Right? It creates more excitement in the game. Now I know what you're probably thinking right now. Kyle, three defensemen on the ice does not create more excitement in the game. Nobody creates more anticipation. You know you're getting to that time where a team is 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 defending a lead and doing everything in their power to preserve it even relinquishing a forward for a defenseman. I'm just saying I'm not I'm not saying that it's a good idea, I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I just wanted to play devil's advocate and outline a couple of things that might actually make sense if a team were to implement this. I remember when you actually had to touch the puck when you went back for icing? That was not that long ago. All right, now there's no touch icing. All I'm saying in this situation is what's the harm? Why not try it? If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You fall flat on your face, that's fine. You gave it a shot, you go back to the regular style of play. But what if it works? What if it becomes a new trend? I'm legitimately intrigued to see a team do it because I want to see it done successfully because it's going to throw the league off, right? Remember when the National Football League all of a sudden had quarterbacks that were fake handing off the ball to the running back and running it themselves? Teams had no idea what to do. They're like, we don't have another guy to cover a quarterback who's more athletic than our entire defense, right? In baseball, when they started doing the shift, I know that was a while ago, but when you started shifting players, guys will walk up to the plate and see the whole right side open. And they're like, what's happening? And then they would hit it to the left side. There'd be an extra guy there and they would get out. People probably thought that was crazy. People are like, you're going to leave a whole side of the field open for a batter to hit. It turns out there's a reason that the, the shift was put in place. Because most of the time, the batter doesn't hit it there. The Leafs struggled enough defensively as it was last year and over the last few years. What's the harm in trying it out? You've got like eight guys signed. You could do it. You just sign a seven. You you would just play a seventh defenseman every game. You'd have a rotating defenseman, and then you'd have you have two lines of three. They would sit back a little bit more, so they wouldn't be skating as much. I'm just saying. Could work. Could work. If it doesn't, doesn't. But it might. Uh, Let's get to a couple news and uh, rumors going around in the National Hockey League right now. We'll start with the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, They have yet to begun the substantial extension talks with superstar forward Elias Patterson. The two sides have stayed in touch over the offseason, but there's been a lack of significant process on the new agreement. Um, But nothing to concern. He's got a whole other year in his rookie deal before signing it. Uh, we've seen players before sign these deals fairly early. Connor McDavid signed his deal a year in advance uh, when his rookie deal ended. We've seen guys drag it out like Mitch Marner and William Nylander. Um, you know, this will be the last season, like I said, in the entry-level deal. Uh, the Canucks appear that they are willing to take their time to pay. He's only 21 years old. Holy smokes. Um, they want to navigate through all the ramifications of the salary cap for the foreseeable future. That makes a lot of sense. The flat cap is going to be here for at least the next year, probably three Um So it makes a lot of sense that, you know, Vancouver is going to want to fit everything under the cap. And GM Jim Benning said that earlier this past month that the pandemic is currently affecting the Canucks financial flexibility when it comes to signing him. Uh, But I will say this, Vancouver is projected to have over $24 million in cap space before the 2021-22 season. They're also going to need to sign Quinn Hughes to a new deal. Those two alone, 22, 24 million dollars, easy. It's the other unrestricted free agents that will come into fruition, come into the, the, the fold that they will need to make a decision on. But if it's me, you're locking those two up long term and you're moving out other contracts. You see other teams do it all the time. Tampa Bay just waived Tyler Johnson. $5 million, second, third line centerman. They just waved him. Like, we gotta make room for other guys. We need to sign, we need to sign Sergeyev. We <laughs> we gotta sign Anthony Sorelli. Right, They got deals that they need to make, and they are willing to make tough moves, and I think Vancouver's smart enough. I mean, this past off season was tough, but they are smart enough to understand that Elias Penderson and Quinn Hughes, Thatcher Demko, Brock Bass, that's their core, that's their future. Get them locked up long-term now, especially in a pandemic. In all honesty, you could probably you know, flex the financial uh, muscles a little bit and tell them, listen, we can't sign you this much. There's COVID going on. It'll be interesting to see how that how those progress, but... Nothing to concern Vancouver fans about, just at the time being, um, you know, Pedersen, not signed, they're not looking to to get over, uh, they're not looking to do a deal anytime soon, but talks haven't really progressed at this point. Um, His deal is probably going to be over $10 million, he's averaging almost a point a game over his first two seasons, um, and he had 18 points in 17 games this past summer in his first taste of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, And then good news for the Boston Bruins here. This is a nice story. Uh, They are full steam ahead with goaltender Tuka Rask for the upcoming season. Uh, Bruce Cassidy said, this head coach of the Bruins, he said, I think everything that happened in the bubble has been addressed, dealt with. Um, He said, we're moving on. We're getting ready to win next year. That includes our goaltender. That is a great sign as uh, Rask opted out of last season's return in August following uh, game two against the Carolina Hurricanes. It was a family emergency. Um he received support from the organization, his teammates, it had something to do with his son. I believe his son was either sick or he needed to go home and take care of his son with his wife. Um, but Pikasiassi said Rask's absence affected the team mentally before losing to Tampa Bay in five games. He said that you know he, he was, uh, you know, he said that it was, a, it was a massive thing. you know, they, they had full belief in, in Eurosof halak, but Tuku Rask is a 2020 Vesna finalist. He was that good for them. He would have made a difference. Win the series? No. But push it to like seven games? Yeah, I could absolutely see that. Um, Rask is going to be entering the final year of his current contract. He's going to become an unrestricted free agent after this coming season. He's 33 years of age. All 13 seasons of his career have been spent with the Bruins. And uh, he said back in October that he doesn't want to play anywhere else. So good news from Boston camp there. Because I know not having Tuca Rask uh, pricked a lot of nerves for some people. But Tuca is going to be back in the fold for the season. And honestly, with the absence of a couple of your superstars, you're going to need them. You're going to need them big time. Uh, That is it for episode 23. Just a reminder, I said this at the beginning of the podcast. I will be on um, Friday nights with the... Voice of the London Knights, Mr. Mike Stubbs, just after 7 o'clock over on 980 CFPL in London, Ontario. Uh, Really cool getting a chance to see uh, different listeners and stuff, and I just want to shout out, I've got listeners over in Ireland. I've got listeners all um, in a couple spots in Europe, United States, Canada, so... I'm just I'm just a you know a guy here in London Ontario Canada doing a doing a hockey podcast and the fact that I'm reaching that far is uh, is pretty remarkable so I appreciate you listening in if you would like to continue to do so uh, give me a like and follow along on Spotify Apple and Google podcasts Instagram and Twitter if you're on social media at second thoughts P I know I've been struggling a little bit to post on those it will start to ramp up once I get a little bit more free time uh, like I said been a hell of a week. But, hey, we had some fun conversations today. We had some good topics. We threw out some experiments, some some ideas that may or may not come to fruition. But, uh, nevertheless, have a fantastic weekend. I'll be back on Tuesday. Until then, it's a wrap.